Greg Popovich. Played very well tonight. Great team defense. Did a good job. Kobe Bryant. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Check this out. Download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now and use the promo code WMVP to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in basketball this week. That's promo code WMVP for new customers to get a shot at 100-1 to odds on any basketball team of their choosing to hit a three-point shot only with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older Illinois only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has got a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March. It, it doesn't mean, though, that you have to wait for the fun, right? So that's why I always tell you to download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app. Now, remember, anybody that hits a three on a team that you choose, man, you can get $100 just by going on DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Okay, we are busy on the show here as we record this Monday afternoon. Busy weekend of NBA and college basketball, which we're going to review. And don't forget, twice a week, Maybe more. We always give you the best in basketball conversation, NBA, college, and maybe a little high school as well. We'll tell you what that little high school tidbit is for sure in the state of Illinois. But wherever you're listening to us from, thanks so much for downloading the podcast. And don't forget, Cap and J Hood mornings between 7 and 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. This is an additional audio for the Cap and J Hood listener to give you the basketball that you're looking for. Hey, we talk three hours. Sometimes we don't get to all the basketball news and notes. That's why I have this podcast to present to you, College and Pro. If you love basketball, share this with someone. Tell them, hey, Hood's talking basketball on the Cabin J. Hood podcast. You can also find this on Spotify as well. If you download this particular podcast and you do it through Spotify, there's additional audio that you might have missed on the Kevin J. Hood feed. So if you're a Spotify listener, go to Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and you get all the basketball information that you need right there on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. As I mentioned, we got a lot to get to here. Let's start and talk about the Bulls. And then we work our way around to college basketball, some news and notes from over the weekend. Also, we'll talk about the Lakers as well, the champions with Brian Kamenitsky, my buddy from Los Angeles, uh, who's part of the Lando Lakers podcast with his brother Andy and Brian do a great job 
of breaking down the Los Angeles Lakers. What's up with the Lakers now that Anthony Davis, Chicago Zone, is injured? We will talk about the Lakers later on in this conversation. If you don't know of a Laker fan, tell them to check out the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. It's interesting information about who the Lakers are, especially now with this injury with Anthony Davis. All right, Bulls first. So the Bulls lost to the Los Angeles Clippers in their last game, 125-106. to If you watched the game like I did, it was a little disappointing because the Bulls just couldn't find enough offense. Now, they shot 47% from the field. They shot 37% from three. That should have been enough to win, but not when you don't have a Kawhi Leonard on your team. Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers had 33 points. He had six rebounds and three assists for the Clippers and some terrific bench depth from Morris, from Zubak, from Lou Williams. It's a really battle-tested team. This date, and according to the Clippers, did this without Paul George, by the way. And the Clippers really never looked back in this contest. For the Bulls, Zach Levine had 26 points. Okay, that's great. Six assists, that's great. Nine rebounds, that's great. But then the fall-off. You know, Kobe White had 17. He was 3 for 8 from 3. Cool. But then, you know, Thaddeus Young is going to do what Thaddeus Young does. Gives you a, a quality effort, 14 points in 25 minutes. But then you're looking at Sadoransky. Gives you 17 and 7. You got Denzel Valentine. And just the whole thing I look at is with this is that you just need to be able to have some kind of better offense. But then on the other end, you got to be able to stop somebody. And this is going to be the issue with the Bulls all season. It's a problem with a lot of teams in the NBA, but the Bulls have to be able to make some stops, and they just did not. Um, taking a look at what the Clippers shot, 58% from the field, and they were just really on point what they did offensively. Um, just watching that bench depth, that really was the key for the Clippers uh, in their victory against the Bulls. Now, the Bulls will take on the Indiana Pacers on Monday night. The Bulls are a five-point underdog against the Pacers um, in Indianapolis. So we will hear now from the head coach for the Bulls. Billy Donovan is keeping his chin up. I'll tell you that for sure. He knows that at 10 and 15, it's not good enough. 4 and 9 at home is not good enough. But he is um, speaking pretty candidly about what the Bulls did not do in this contest against the Clippers? Uh, they're an elite three-point shooting team. You know, they shoot, I think, a little bit above 85% from the free throw line. Um, they really rebound the ball very well. We just had, in my opinion, way too many empty offensive possessions. You know, I think when we really were cutting and moving and, and playing downhill and good cuts to the basket, we, we, we generated, I think, really, really good opportunities for ourselves. And then I thought there was periods of time you know, where we'd have like three or four possessions where it was a quick shot or no pass shot or or we'd settle a little bit and we just didn't continually play through some of their switching and some of their size and, you know, go a little bit deeper into the shot clock. And then what happened was like, you know, they, they would go on a little bit of a run and then we kind of like hold water for a little bit and then we'd have another kind of segment where we had a few possessions, you know, where we kind of did the same thing. Where we're, I don't want to say we stagnated. We just, we just didn't. We just didn't generate enough uh, quality possessions in that second half on offense. And um, I, I thought we made it a little bit easier for them guarding us. Now, there was times when we were really moving and cutting. We got some really good stuff at the basket, but we just didn't do it consistently enough or often enough. 
on a night like tonight with where Patrick's got so much on his plate d- defensively, are you okay with, with his shots, you know, being at five? Or are you just worried about him focusing on defense tonight? No, I think that's going to be the, the, the evolution of him. I mean, I think it's a great point, Casey. You know, he's got to be able to stay involved, you know, and, and put pressure on the defense and, you know, make Kawhi, those other guys have to work. I, I, we tried to run something for him coming out of the third quarter to try to be a little bit of aggressive on a drive. They did a good job guarding it, but he did try to drive the ball a couple times. He got fouled one time going to the basket, but – yeah, I mean, I think him playing downhill, you know, doing a little bit more. I mean, I think that's that, that's what we need him to do. Uh, but listen, there's a lot coming at him, you know, and he obviously had a hard matchup tonight. And I think for him, he really worked hard on Kawhi. He did a lot of good things. And like, listen, you know, you're going to have to give up something. And, you know, what we didn't want to do is foul. And we didn't want to, you know, really let him get to the rim. And he, he made a lot of mid-range jump shots, which is what he does. But it's hard to get to him in those areas of the floor because you really open yourself up to a lot of different issues, you know, than him making those. And he, he made some tough shots tonight, and that's what he does. That's what great players do. So there it is, Billy Donovan, the head coach for the Bulls, not happy with the Bulls with their loss against the Los Angeles Clippers. It's just it was going to be difficult for the Bulls to win anyway unless they were shooting at a high percentage. But ultimately, it's about making stops, and the Bulls just didn't do that against a really good you know, veteran, Leighton, Los Angeles Clippers team. One note for you on the Bulls, and that's from Casey Johnson from NBC Sports. Com. He says that Wendell Carter Jr. practiced fully on Sunday and barring a setback is in line for an earlier than expected return from his right quad injury that he suffered in practice back on January 20th. Um, Donovan says he's certainly moving closer and closer to playing. So Carter initially suffered the injury when Denzel Valentine need him in what doctors unfortunately described to uh, Carter as the perfect spot. Need him in the perfect spot the balls on january 26 the uh, bulls announced that carter will be reevaluated in four weeks after an mri exam revealed a significant bruise so uh it's good to see that uh the right quad could be getting healthier and that wendell carter will be returning when wendell carter does return he's got to stay in the lineup to help this bulls team again in this evaluation year you got to find out who can play and who can't play wendell carter jr and lowry marketing those two are front and center as trying to figure out whether or not these guys will be part of the core for the Bulls uh, in the future. All right, let's get to some quick, quick hitters. we got some news and notes to pass along to you. we got a lot to get to before we talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. All right, let's take a look here, see what we have. First and foremost, the NBA Power Rankings came out from ESPN.com. Look, the Utah Jazz, the Jazz are the best team in the NBA from a record standpoint. As we record this, they're 22-5. and five. The Jazz have 16 double-digit wins during their 18-1 run, joining the 70-71 Bucks and the 08-09 Cavs as the only teams to record so many 10-plus point victories over a 19-game span. That is just amazing. A lot of this is, of course, we watch this Jazz team and we're enamored by Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. But what about Royce O'Neal? Have you seen him play? He's a forward. And he was a primary defender on Jason Tatum when they played the Celtics, on Giannis Antetokounmpo when they played the Bucks, Jimmy Butler when they played the Miami Heat. So convincing wins for the Jazz, but everything stems from a good defensive team the Jazz are. The Jazz are the best right now. Now, how sustainable is that in the month of March and April moving forward? 
The, the Lakers are number two on this list. The Lakers, they had a seven-game win streak, and uh, they were playing very well until they ran into the Nuggets. And Anthony Davis will talk more about the Lakers a little bit. Uh, the Clippers, who the Bulls just played, are number three on this list. Just as Patrick Beverly was getting comfortable back from injury, Kawhi Leonard, he sat out Sunday's game with a lower leg contusion. But again, he did come through in a big way on Friday for the Clippers against the Bulls. And also Paul George with that swollen toe on the sidelines as well. So it's a good team, but you don't know how good the Clippers are unless you see George and Leonard on the floor together. By the time we get to the playoffs, they all should be healthy, but they've gotten off to a terrific start through the first 29, 30 games of the season. The Sixers, Joel Embiid, as I said in the last podcast, if I had an MVP vote, he's getting my MVP vote. Joel Embiid is one of the front runners for the MVP award, uh, and Rudy Gobert, who is well on his way to get another NBA Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, yeah, those... I tell you what, Joel Embiid is, is solid. Gobert is solid as well. But for the Sixers, I mean, he's the heartbeat of the team. He, he is tremendous. And uh, we're going to hear from one of the front office executives from the Sixers within the framework of this podcast. Number five in this list, the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are on this list. The Suns have won nine of their past ten games and are on a six-game winning streak uh, after they defeated the Magic on Sunday. Uh, The current run is tied for the longest such streak in the past ten seasons. Uh, So Devin Booker, of course, just went on fire the past four games, shooting a blistering 57% uh, from the field (laughs) and averaging 33 points a game. The Suns are good, it's, it, but it's even more than that. Chris Paul being on that team as a stabilizer helps the Suns team. I watched them over the weekend, and they're a fun watch for sure. That's the top five, according to ESPN.com. Let's get to Bracketology. So, saw the Bracketology, and it has been revealed by Joe Lenardi from ESPN.com. Here are the four regions. The number one seeds are Gonzaga, Baylor, Ohio State, and Michigan. Those are the number one seeds. So I'm looking at uh, the other seeds here, the number two seeds, Houston, Illinois, Villanova, and Alabama. Alabama has been a very good team this year in college basketball. The number three seeds would be Virginia. Also number three seed on the list here is Texas Tech, Tennessee, and the last As I take a look at the list here, I am seeing West Virginia at a number three here. And then number four, Iowa, who's been very good this year. Iowa, followed by Wisconsin, USC, and Texas. So those are the top four seeds in the different regions for college basketball, uh, according to Joe Lenardi from ESPN.com. Illinois, number two seed. Very, very impressive indeed. All right, uh, a couple other news and notes for you. How about this story? Did you hear this? David Kaplan, my partner on Cap and J Hood Mornings on ESPN, uh, is going to uh, be with me, and we're going to do something that I didn't think we'd ever do. We will be involved in doing co- uh, doing high school basketball together. I had no idea that this was going to happen. But if you are familiar with what's going on in the state of Illinois, you know that we have seen that because of COVID-19, 
high school players cannot go down state and try to win a championship. So instead, there was a great idea that was thrown out there to have high school kids be able to play for something. It's one thing to be able to say, okay, you got the green light to play, but you should be able to play for something. And so let me tell you about this tournament that's happening uh, in the Chicagoland area. So there's going to be two city teams, two suburban teams, two Catholic League teams, two East Suburban teams. The teams are Whitney Young, Simeon, Evanston, Mundelion, Fenwick, DePaul Prep, St. Pat's, and Notre Dame. And so the games are scheduled for March 12th and the 13th, hopefully with a format that resembles the old state championship. The quarters on uh, the 12th are not set in stone yet. They're working on it. But when you take a look at what's happening here with these um, these schools, at least they'll be able to play for a t in a tournament sponsored by Chipotle. So that is just an awesome thing that Chipotle is going to be the title sponsor, and they're still working out some of the logistics with this, but these games will be played on ESPN3. So, of course, if you follow me on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood, you'll be able to get the link to be able to watch this. But high school basketball, never thought we'd be able to see it, and now we're seeing it here uh, a little bit in February, but definitely for a championship uh, tournament Sponsored by Chipotle, Rick Malnati put this together, among others. So congratulations to even have a high school tournament um, of this sort. Whitney Young, Simeon, some of the powerhouses, and they're all going to come together for this uh, big tournament again on the 12th and the 13th of March. And Cap and I will be doing play-by-play -play in color, respectively, and uh, we're going to have fun being able to sit courtside and call these games. So looking forward to that in the month of March. All right, what other news and notes do we have? Oh, Andre Drummond, did you see this? From Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN.com. Cleveland Cavaliers won't play Andre Drummond. We'll try to trade the star center before the deadline. So this is a story from Cleveland. Cleveland is no longer going to play Andre Drummond as they work to trade him. The Cavaliers are moving to make Jared Allen the franchise's long-term starting center, and they believe it's unfair to Drummond to limit his minutes as the organization moves forward. The Cavs general manager, Kobe Altman, discussed the move with Drummond and his agent, Jeff Schwartz. Uh, Cleveland is starting to gauge the trade market, but there are no serious ongoing discussions with any teams so far. Drummond didn't even dress for the Cavs' loss against the Clippers on Sunday, and that will continue uh, Monday against Golden State and into the future. <laughs> He's not even going to play. You don't even go play him, not just for five minutes or ten minutes. So here's a salary situation for Drummond. If you have a favorite team in the NBA, you're like, boy, I'd use Andre Drummond. Yeah, who couldn't? He's 27 in his prime. Drummond is playing in a $28.7 million expiring contract, which does make matching up salaries in a trade something uh, of a formidable challenge. He has averaged 17.5 points a game and 13.5 rebounds in 25 starts. A number of teams are interested in the seven-footer. And yeah, I would. If, if I'm the Celtics, I'm on the phone yesterday trying to get him. If, if anything, Tice is a nice player, but he's not Andre Drummond. There's a guy here that can give you offensive rebounds and putbacks, tenacious rebounder, and a scorer. Uh, you know, if I'm the Celtics, that's a the team that comes to mind. Or if you feel that you're close and you feel like I, you could use a little bit more um, 
a little bit more production from the foul line down on the inside, yeah, I'd get Andre Drummond too. And so it's just funny. They're not even going to play him. It's like, yeah, uh, Jared Allen, who came from Brooklyn in the trade, is going to be the future. So they're just like, yeah, we're not even going to play you. I just thought that, that that's a little interesting. Um, <laughs> not even 10 minutes, not even 15 minutes just for him to get moving. They want to trade him. And that's very clear. Uh, we do some more quick hits here. How about college basketball? I watched Loyola against Drake over the weekend. Now, this was an interesting series, not because it was, it was a team from Chicago. It's just that the Valley can be very tough. And I know that Porter Moser, the head coach for Loyola, was thinking, well, for sure, it's going to be a two-bid league. And I think that that's possible because Drake won the second game of the two-game series this past Sunday. If you have ESPN+, Plus, go back and watch, especially that first game. Uh, Loyola just absolutely dominated uh, in that game against Drake in Des Moines. And then the second game, that was more like a Valley game. That was kind of a, was a dog fight. That was 51-50 in overtime that Drake won that game. <laughs> I was like, boy, the low scoring, you know, trying to get every possession you can and try to do what you can. And it was not great scoring from three. Loyola shot four for 19 from three. Drake shot three for 19 from three. Uh, Hemphill, the star for Drake, is out because of an injury. But Drake shows some resolve in that second game. That shows how tight the number one, number two teams in the Valley were fighting uh, on Saturday and Sunday, and they split. So maybe, just maybe. It could be two teams coming out of the Valley uh, as far as the uh, NCAA tournament is concerned. Okay, I got to get to the Sixers as we go back to the NBA. So Ben Simmons gives you everything that you want. He gives you scoring. He gives you production. And more times than not, he's always going to be available for the Sixers as far as health, right? So... It's interesting how people look at Ben Simmons. They say, how can you be in this league right now and you're not shooting threes, not even attempting threes like you should? Well, Daryl Morey, front office executive with the Sixers, was on the volume talking about how much he really likes Ben Simmons. How can I talk about this a lot? I think Doc's done a great job with Ben. Look, you want to play to your strengths. He shoots like 60% at the rim and he gets to the rim at will. Why would you do much else? <laughs> like, right. He finds super efficient three-point shot. He's the number one three-point assist guy in the league on a team that doesn't shoot a ton of threes. It shows you how well he gets it on time and on target, how well he collapses the D to find those shooters. You know, yes, if it's three left on the clock uh, and he's wide open, is he going to take it? He is, and he has this year, and he's made, he's made some. But, like, why would we want him to change who he is? And, you know, Doc had Rondo in Boston. They're very different players. But you can use a player in different ways to play to their strengths, and it doesn't just have to be what people always perceive. Daryl Morey, front office executive with the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, I, I like Ben Simmons, too. Just Ben Simmons is got everything that you want. He just doesn't shoot the basketball. He goes to the rim, which is what you want. It's still a high-percentage shot. It's just not a three. He defends well, so Ben Simmons and the Sixers under Doc Rivers, uh, good team. Now, they've had some problems here on this West Coast road trip. 
They beat the Kings, but they lost against the Trailblazers, and they lost against an up-and-coming Suns team. And now they're a 7.5-point underdog against the Jazz, according to DraftKings.com. So get on that. Let's take keep our eyes on that. The Sixers on the road against Utah. That's an 8 o'clock game. And... They are a seven and a half point underdog, as I double check this, against Utah. Again, Utah, as we just talked about, the number one team in the NBA from a one loss record standpoint, and they're getting it done defensively. Let's see what Royce O'Neal and the crew do against a talented Sixers team. How they match up against Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid against the Stifle Tower. Is that what we're going to see tonight? It's going to be good. This league's always got some, some marquee matchups. You have to look for them, and they're right there. There's one right there. Utah against the Sixers. Uh, uh, best team from a one-loss record standpoint against a team that could win the East in Philadelphia. We'll see how that all uh, shakes out. Illinois, by the way. Illinois basketball. So, watching the Illini against Nebraska, Illinois uh, were able to beat Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska uh, over the weekend. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what is next for this Illinois team. I, I, I like this uh, Io DeSumo to watch Coburn for this Illini team. There's a reason why that they're projected to be the number one, number two seed uh, according to Bracketology. They're good. <laughs> they're they're really good. I just want to know what is next for this Illini team. What's next for this team? Will they be able to have a deeper run the tournament? I said Sweet 16 when the season started because when I found out that Io and Coburn was coming back, I said, you know what? Hmm. This team could get to the Sweet 16. That was my initial thought. I thought that Baylor would be tougher. I thought Gonzaga would be stacked as normal. But I wasn't sure uh, exactly what we were going to see with Illinois until I saw those those two come back. Corbello coming off the bench. It, it's a good team. Now I look forward to seeing what happens with the Illini. They beat Nebraska 77-72. If you're on the wrong side of that, Nebraska was, if I remember, a 13 or 14-point underdog in Lincoln, and they kept it close. That took overtime for Illinois to beat uh, Nebraska in that one as as Illinois won by five. DeSumo had 31 points, three assists, uh, three rebounds, and six assists in that one. Io DeSumo, player of the year? Hmm? We will see. We will see. Okay, let us get now to um, the Denver Nuggets. And let's uh, talk about the Lakers and the Nuggets because (laughs) I tell you what, watching Jokic. Now, here's the thing about Nikola Jokic. I think that Jokic is a tremendous player. And I know that he may not get on the house of highlights and he may not be your favorite to watch, but he just gets buckets, man. I love basketball so much that I don't care how you get it, whether it's a crazy dunk, whether it is a you know, three-point shooting, whatever it is, he gets to the basket. So I appreciate him just like anybody else because he's always he's got an outside game, but he always finds a way to get to the basket. Jokic against Gasol. Two old-fashioned big men, and Jokic gets that one to go up and in. Already Jokic with eight points in the early going. Wants the Denver Nuggets to eliminate. Just a walk-up three, a great cut, and finished by Mate Moore. Have to just know that this is the Chris Paul effect, what you're seeing, that growth by all of the young players in Phoenix. Jokic drives and finishes. Nice move from Jokic. Jokic drives on Davis. 
Keeps it inside, flips it up, shots good. He is just so good. Matthews and Millsap, couple of veterans battling down low. And Millsap, the winner that time, turns, scores, and draws the foul. Jokic turns, fires, and hits. Nikola Jokic nails it. Drew gets inside, layup, shot knocked away. Here comes Jokic. And Porter running the floor. <laughs> Insane. Jokic with a triple-double, leading the Nuggets to three straight wins. Jokic had 23 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists for the Nuggets over the Lakers on Sunday night, 122-105. Uh, so he was outstanding. Murray was outstanding with his 25 points, 15 off the bench for Campazaro. Um, he played well. And for the Lakers, LeBron James had 22 points and 10 rebounds and one assist shy of a triple-double. But the big story is about Anthony Davis. So big news about Anthony Davis, and we got to pass this along to you uh, before we play our conversation with Brian Kamenitsky from Lando Lakers. So Here's a story for Chicago's own Anthony Davis. So Dave McMinniman, who was a friend, covers the Lakers for ESPN.com, wrote this story. And I was watching this game live on Sunday, and I saw Anthony Davis writhing in pain. It was hard to watch. But the big man aggravated tendinosis, tendinosis in his right ankle, causing swelling, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, McMiniman goes on to say that Davis missed two games earlier this week with the injury. The Lakers officially termed it a right Achilles strain and said Davis will undergo an MRI today as we record this on Monday. And uh, Davis was listed questionable before the game, but nevertheless started with the Lakers looking to extend their seven-game winning streak. And, of course, that did not happen as Jokic went off in the game. Davis stayed in the game to take two free throws, both making um, both free throws with 2.36 remaining in the second quarter, and he limped to the locker room. And I said, boy, I've seen this way too often with Davis, either with the Pelicans or with this Lakers team, where he clutches his uh, left leg, uh, and around his calf area, and then, of course, he hits the free throws, and then he is able to leave. Now, what does that mean? If Davis is injured, what does that mean for the NBA hierarchy? Stephen A. Smith has some thoughts. My first reaction after hearing about Anthony Davis aggravating his uh, right Achilles is that the Brooklyn Nets are going to win the NBA championship. That's the first reaction that I had, Max Kellerman. My reaction is that it's it's the Lakers, as far as I'm concerned, are the only team standing in the way of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden winning the chip. And I obviously... No way. I've dismissed the, uh, the Eastern Conference, and I don't mean any disrespect. Philadelphia has vastly improved. Milwaukee is not a team to ignore. I get all of that. But the bottom line is I'm looking at James Harden right now. The brother's averaging 23, 11, and 8 on 48% shooting, 38% from three-point range. I don't need to get into Kevin Durant's number. It's at 29%. I'm worried about his hamstring strain or whatever. Keep an eye on that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, as long as he's healthy, I'm looking at it along those lines. And Kyrie Irving is just playing like the superstar talent that he is. He is putting on a show night in and night out. Now, when he takes a hiatus or whatever, you get worried because that can be distraction. We understand that. But when this brother is... Brooklyn, are you serious, Stephen A? Brooklyn, 
I mean, he just crowned Brooklyn. <laughs> just because Anthony Davis has an injury. It doesn't mean it's going to be like that all season. I can't believe that he said that he went there. I mean, I, I don't know. I would say this is that Brooklyn's a good team, but you still got a guard. Anthony Davis is a key to the Lakers, but not to the point where it's such a detriment that the Lakers can't be right there on top again in the Western Conference. We will see. Of course, we will see. Um, One other thing I want to get to before we hear from our guy from Los Angeles, and that was something from Derrick Rose. You know, when you're a veteran player like Derrick Rose, you know that you only have so many miles left in your body. And you know, it's well documented, all the injuries that Derrick Rose has had. He's playing in Detroit. He liked playing in Detroit. But he wants a chance to play in the playoffs. Dwayne Casey was on SiriusXM NBA radio talking about the candid conversation that Derrick Rose had with head coach Dwayne Casey about his future. Derrick has changed his game. He changed his game. He had to adjust to what his, his the stage of his career. Uh, great vet. He just loved working with Derek. He was real. We text back and forth all the time throughout the year. And, uh, you know, the last couple of days before, <clears throat> you know, the trade went down, we had great conversations about, you know, like he, he, he was upfront and honest. Coach, you know, I've got so many, you know, I've got so many miles left in my leg. I want to make sure I go to a situation where I may have a chance to make the playoffs this year. I know where you guys are. You're rebuilding. You're retooling. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just want to go to where we may have a chance to, to make the playoffs. And I said, Derek, you may have a chance here just as you may have in New York. But, you know, I understand his relationship with Tibbs. Tibbs started him out as a rookie. That's special. You're never going to change that. So uh, I'm happy for Derek. I was glad we was able to accommodate him and find him a place where he could go and a place he wanted to go to to play with Tibbs in New York, which, you know, I'm happy for him because he came here, uh, We again, a guy that we got from Minnesota, uh, gave a couple of years to kind of re reestablish himself in the league as one of the top off the bench scorers in the league and fit in like a glove and work with me and accepted coaching. Here's a guy who's been the MVP of the league uh, and his body was, you know, went a different way, but he continued to work and uh, get his body in the right place. And just, a, uh, he, he's going to be a big plus for New York and, and as they go forward and get to where they want to go and, like he did us, and I'm happy for him. As I'm excited to have Dennis Smith uh, into our program and, and see what what he can bring to our our uh, our program. So there's Dwayne Casey, the head coach for the Pistons, talking about Derrick Rose. Very classy. Derrick's like, I just want an opportunity to maybe get to the playoffs. The Pistons are not that. You know, Casey said, Hey, just wait a minute. We can get in. And Derrick was like, No, it's okay. By the way, let me just bust a myth for you real quick. So you'll hear this in barbershops. You'll hear this in, on the street corners. You'll hear this on, and see this on social media about the relationship that Derrick Rose has with Tom Thibodeau. So always, doesn't matter where you go, people will say that Tom Thibodeau caused the injury for Derrick Rose in that playoff game against Philadelphia in which when Derrick Rose played for Chicago. And just like, oh, you know, Tibbs runs players into the ground. The minutes, it destroyed Derrick Rose. That's not what happened. Derrick Rose had an injury. You don't blame the head coach for it. It's just the player fell and he 
messed up his ACL, messed up his other ACL. So he's gone through a lot of uh, a lot of pain and a lot of injuries, a lot of rehab, but he just keeps coming back. I don't blame Tom Thibodeau for what happened to Derrick Rose because I'm a grown-up. I'm an adult. I understand what happened there. So the, the idea that we blame the head coach for, that's just not right. But here's the thing. If Derek felt that way, the way that some people feel, he'd never want to be coached by Tom Thibodeau. He would get away from Tom. He's trying to get to Tom because he knows that he can get to the playoffs possibly by playing for Tom Thibodeau. So if there was real beef between Derek Rose and Tom Thibodeau, Derek would say, no, I'm not going to be traded to New York. He'd find another team to play for. So there's that. Okay. So finally here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings is my conversation with Brian Kamenitsky. Brian Kamenitsky has been on shows that I've hosted for over a dozen years. And he is my go-to guy in Los Angeles because he covers the Lakers, the champions. So you can find him on wherever you download your podcast. The Cam Brothers have a podcast. It's the Lando Lakers podcast. And it's great because they talk everything Lakers, everything Western Conference. And so the Lando Lakers podcast, wherever you download your podcast, including Apple. Um, and they also have a show that you can find at Twitter uh, at Cam Brothers, K-A-M Brothers. And the show is the Late Night Happy Hour. And they have a lot of different guests on there. Check them out at Cam Brothers. Great conversations with people that are celebrities, maybe not so much of a celebrity, doesn't matter. They still have a great time on the late night happy hour uh, with Andy and Brian Kamenitsky. They talk hoops, they talk life, they talk about Hollywood, so many other things. So two places on uh, Twitter as well as where if you download your podcast, look for the Lando Lakers podcast. They do a great job breaking down the Western Conference and the Lakers, as I mentioned. Here's my conversation now with uh, Brian Kamenitsky. Now, I talked to him over the weekend as we record this. This is before the Lakers played the Denver Nuggets, in which we just talked about Anthony Davis went down with the injury. So I talked to him over the weekend. So just keep that in mind. Is right before the game uh, against Denver on Sunday. My conversation with Brian Kamenitsky on the Otherhood Basketball Podcast. Brian, I want to get your thoughts on the Lakers as of late. What stands out most about the season so far? I, it's it's the consistency, I think, of LeBron. Uh, yeah, the Lakers are playing well. They've had a bit of a you know, a, a, they're in the, I think they're a little tired right now. To be honest, Anthony Davis has the uh, the Achilles injury. It's really soreness that they're just they're being extra careful with. Um, rightly so, he's Anthony Davis. Uh, but, you know, three overtime games in a row against two against Oklahoma City and one double overtime game against Detroit. That's not what you want when you're trying to keep everyone fresh for the playoffs. But overall, to me, what sticks out is LeBron is he's like Obi-Wan Kenobi at this point, like just controls everything on the floor with a little wave of his fingers, a, a turn of his body, all this. And it, it's, it's so much fun to watch somebody who's 36 years old. And he's not he athletically not quite what he was, I guess, five, six years ago, and still pretty amazing. But the level of control that he has over games to where he can put his imprint on stuff and only expend the amount of energy that he needs to spend, um, it's it's just unbelievable. He is so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brian, I, I thought at the time, once we saw the bubble, saw the Lakers win the championship, and then the negotiations and win the league was going to restart, I, I thought... 
initially, what I said was, man, this is unfair to the Lakers and the Heat and the, and the Final Four teams. I said, man, they just got off the floor, and now they're back on it. And then I didn't see LeBron James with the amount of minutes that he's playing and still playing at a high level. I mean, people, they, they can be awestruck at Tom Brady all they want. I'm just saying that for LeBron who do, and the, the Lakers who just got off the floor to get back on it and LeBron still playing at max minutes and the way he's doing it from a production standpoint, I just think that's remarkable. I, I've never seen anything. I don't, there is no comp for it. I mean, Brady, what for, I, don't, I don't mean to, I mean, I'm not a big Tom Brady guy just because it's like, come on, man, how much is enough? You know, you <laughs> the, the, the chiseled good looks of the supermodel wife and 93 Super Bowl time, how much is enough? Now you get to play a Super Bowl where literally nobody comes near you and you get to win an MVP. I mean, his uniform was, he could have worn that uniform again and didn't need to be laundered after the game. It was unbelievable. Right. But, and, but like LeBron, LeBron really does have to, you know, basketball is just a different deal. And, you know, what he is doing in terms of just carrying and keeping this team uh, where it needs to be in his, you know, going on 20 years in the league. It, and to play at this level, I was asked the other day on uh, doing a, a radio spot in LA, like, is he, is he as good now? Because he you know, off the D Wade interview, is he as good now as he was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago? And the answer is like, no. He's not like you, you go back and watch the film of him beating him beating the Warriors mm-hmm. a few years ago. Like that's that's just that's peak LeBron and it's unbelievable. But the fact that you have to even kind of think about it, that you spend five seconds thinking about whether or not this thirty six year old guy might be as good as he was five or six or seven years ago is remarkable. Because the answer, of course, well, no, he's not. I mean, is Tom Brady as good as he was? In you know is super prime with with New England? No. He, you know, doesn't have quite the arm strength and can't quite manipulate a team and all, you know, doesn't, can't do things as a quarterback in quite the same way. Still really, really good. Uh, but you have to think about it with LeBron. And that, to me, is 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 what is so remarkable about it. I mean, I'm at the point now where I, it's not just, is he going to play with Bronny? Is he going to play with Bronny the third? Like, <laughs> hang around for his grandkids to show up in the league. Um, so I, maybe Lakers fans don't want to hear this, Brian, but I'm more confident this year than I was last year in the Lakers, just based on the roster composition. When I found out that Truder's going to be part of this, and you see Marcus Gasol, I'm, I'm actually more confident this year because I like what I saw from the roster. How different is the roster this year from last? It's it's very different, and it's it's not so much that you're seeing it in the results because the results look pretty similar. Uh, you know, defensively, they're still excellent, but they do it in a different way. It's it's rim protection that's built around trying to prevent penetration. So, you know, you protect the rim in two ways. You can block shots, um, or you can keep people from getting there. And and this year, they're they're trying to do that a little bit more, just keep people away from the rim. And then Marcus Gasol is not a shot blocker, but he's still, if you look at the, the analytics of, uh, about how teams shoot when he's around the rim, he's still very good in that regard. But because they don't have JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard paired with Anthony Davis, you know, so you have that, that frontline shot blocker in, in McGee or, or Howard that you run right into, and then Davis coming off the weak side, it, it is a different look for them. Uh, the results have still been outstanding. They're still the best defensive team in the league. Where, where they're struggling a little bit, honestly, is just in the offense. You know, they, they got off to an incredibly good start shooting the ball. Over the last five games or so, they're under 30% from three. Over the last 10, they're in the low 30s. 
And so when they don't shoot the ball well from distance, they look a lot more mortal. Um, if they are able to kind of recapture some of that, Anthony Davis gets back up into the mid-30s. He has not shot the three well at all this year and has almost stopped taking them, uh, which is not what Frank Vogel wants him to be doing. They want him to be taking threes. KCP can take his goal. Well, Pope has slowed down a little bit. Guys, if guys like that can get back up into the mid-30s, Schroeder can do what he did in Oklahoma City last year, uh, you know, in the high 30s. It's going to be very difficult to beat them because the, the floor spacing combined with Davis and combined with LeBron, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, Schroeder is going to be much more valuable in the playoffs than anybody they had last year uh, at that guard spot. And then Marcus All, you can play in the playoffs in ways that you couldn't with Dwight Howard and. Um, and JaVale because he's such a good positional defender and is such a, a good pivot point in the offense. Um, I, I look, Brian, at uh, Frank Vogel. And at the time of the hire, I said at the time, I said, you know, out of everything with the Lakers, Frank Vogel is like the, most, like the ninth or tenth most interesting thing about the Lakers. Um, has he solidified himself as a head coach as far as headlines uh, being a leader for this team? I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know a ton about him other than, you know, it was a really respected guy, hard worker, all that stuff that you hear about it. But he was so hot coming out of Indiana um, and had it built it up and then seemed to lose so much of that reputation in Orlando. You just you kind of wondered. And, and he has talked about how much he learned about needing to adjust his system and, and kind of modernize what he does based on his experience in Orlando. And he's been spectacular, uh, a perfect voice for this team in terms of um, understanding it's LeBron James's team. Like, this is, this is a LeBron team, but LeBron needs to be coached. LeBron needs to respect the guy who is the head coach. And he's done some things. I, it, I think it was the second or third game last year, his first season as, as the head coach of the Lakers, when there was still all kinds of speculation about um, you know, his job security and Jason Kidd is there just in case Vogel uh, trips and, oh, we got Kidd, we can install him right there and good to go. He, Anthony Davis, as we all know, doesn't like to play center. He prefers to be a power forward. That's where he wants to spend the bulk of his minutes. And they were playing Utah with Rudy Gobert, and Vogel started Davis in the second half of the game where the Lakers couldn't score the ball in the first half at center. Put JaVale on the bench, moved AD to center, and said, this is what we need to do to win the game. And it worked. They, they blitzed the Jazz in the third, and then they ran away with the game. And that was just a small statement of, okay, guys, I know you're the stars, but we're going to do things that, that benefit the team. We're going to I, – I get a voice here, and he's got their respect, and he, the, the, he, uh, it's, it's, he's done a remarkable job kind of balancing that star thing with – you know, being with instilling the right kind of culture there, um, he's he, he could be the head coach of the Lakers for a long time. Yeah, see, I was concerned about that because I remember when Ty Lue would call out LeBron, LeBron would look around, it's like, you, are you talking to me? Yeah, and and Ty's like, yeah, I'm talking to you. You need to be able to do X, Y, Z. And I was wondering whether or not Vogel would have that same respect, but so far, so good because everyone expected Vogel to fall flat, but that's good because at least he has respect in the room, and that's a positive. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the, the levels of, you know this, it's, it, we, as, we always as fans sort of assume that, Oh, well, if something's going on, a guy's going to have to be benched. A guy's, you know, they're changing the rotation. Of course the coach will talk to the players and all that. You know, though, that, that doesn't always happen. The level of communication between players and coaches isn't always high. 
and he gets you know the, or he put Wes Matthews and, and Markeith Morris, two respected veterans who came back to the Lakers uh, expecting a certain defined role that would help them maybe get better contracts next year, put them on the bench in favor of a 20-year-old second-year player in Taylor Horton Tucker. And you know those guys praised him up and down for for the level of communication, explaining them what's going on. They, you know, it's it's not you know YMCA ball. Like you got to do what's best for the team, and that might mean sitting down veterans for a guy like THT who's played really well. That's it's that sort of thing, communicating with guys, making sure they get some playing time, but explaining when they're not uh, balancing the egos on that team. You know, it's not easy to you know you've got. LeBron, you've got AD, you've got Clutch, you've got all these forces around you that have an influence on what you need to do as the coach. And he, he balances all of those things well. It helps that LeBron is completely bought in and completely comfortable um, in ways that I think hasn't been always true in, in, throughout his career. It helps that AD is locked up and comfortable. Um, management has signed up guys like Kyle Kuzma. It's a good contract, so they're comfortable playing roles that might Although, you know, if, Kyle was, if Kuzma was worried about getting paid this offseason, he might not be so comfortable in a role where he might only get, you know, 10 points a game. So they're helping him, um, but he's done a great job. Brian, I had a bet on DraftKings for MVP, and I decided to zig while everyone else zags because you heard the scuttlebutt. Oh, you know, you can't put LeBron as MVP, or you can't do it with Giannis. It's just, it just has to be Luka Doncic. And my thought was, well, you have to be, I don't know, kind of good. Uh, your team's got to be kind of good to be considered MVP. And so I put the bet on Anthony Davis. Is that still a good bet or no? You know... I am with you here. I I went and I I drafted third in my fantasy league this year. Yeah, and I had you know Giannis was off the board and Luca was off the board. And I'm looking at Jokic. I'm looking at Carly Anthony Towns. I'm looking at Anthony Davis. And I said to myself, I'm taking AD because that's a guy who's going to want to go out there and win an MVP. And come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's been pretty good. But I, I had the same idea with you. I was like, he's going to go out and put up huge numbers because I think he wants it. And what I what I miss what I probably missed here was we were all kind of looking at LeBron, going, "How is he going to handle the layoff?" And and you know, it's, it's such a short time, and he's 30, 35 turning thirty six. I think we really underestimated how much that short rest was going to hurt AD, um, who has not quite had the legs, and I think has had to measure his output even more. Than LeBron has, I think by the end of the year he's going to be playing at an MVP level. He's not going to win the award, um, but I agree. I think the logic of Anthony Davis as MVP was absolutely sound um, because it, it seems like the the logical next step. He could win an MVP in the playoffs, uh, but I, he, he's not going to win the award. It's it's wide open this year, and I, I I don't know who's going to end up doing it because so many of like the traditional things that we use are messed up, whether it's because of the COVID protocols and guys in and out of lineups and Luca's team isn't good enough to win right now and then LeBron and AD could split it and what do you do with Joel Embiid? Um, it, it's going to be it's gonna be really interesting to see who's there at the end of the year because like you said, people are kind of bored of Giannis. His numbers are insane this year. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, lastly, Brian, I appreciate your time. What we found out here in the state of Illinois is there's a possibility 
it's remote, but there's a possibility that fans will come back to the United Center. Um, Governor Governor Pritzker and also Mayor Lightfoot has had these uh, conversations. And when I watch Bulls games, it's it's hard to watch with no fans because it's one of the louder stadiums in, in the NBA. But has Mayor, has Mayor Garcetti or Governor Newsom made any kind of inroads to have fans back at Staples at all this season? I- yeah, I haven't seen much. First of all, I can always tell, though, when the highlights are from Chicago. Because as far as I can tell, you guys are the only people with Alexis parked on the baseline. <laughs> uh, exactly. It's a Bulls game. Because you, you can't go by uniforms anymore. Nobody wears the same uniform. Right. Days. When, the, when the Lakers played the Bulls, and I love those, uh, you know, the, the Chicago, you know, the, the theater uniform. I don't know what they call them, but they you know, like, look like theater uniforms. Yes. Where, you know, and they're, they're great. They look really cool, but it took me a second that like one team's wearing blue and the other one's wearing these. I, who the hell is playing in this game? I can't. But then now I know if there's a Lexus Park in the baseline, it's a game of Chicago. Right. Um, and so, I, to my knowledge, and I might be a little behind on this, that uh, there has been no talk of, of that kind of thing for California. We are just at a place now where um, we're getting past you know, hospital over, you know, overcrowding and, uh, you know, ICUs being overcrowded. And I know the Warriors, for example, had a very detailed plan to try to get fans into the building that they presented to, you know, the state government at the beginning of the year. And it was pretty, pretty well rejected. Um, so I, I would be surprised if at any point this season fans are allowed in the building. Maybe if the immunizations pick up, something could happen in the playoffs where you have, you know, frontline workers and a lot of things that, that teams are doing to be able to put people in staples, which would be great. But I, I think in California, and I know really all across the country, it's been so hard to keep case numbers down um, that I, I think sporting events are going to be probably the last thing that come around. Brian, I'm glad you spent some time with me in Chicago. I just wanted to talk to, you know, a fan of a real team, a team that's actually winning. Oh, I come saw on. that. Yeah, because I, 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 you know, I, I'd be much more worried about the uh, the fire sale the Cubs are going through than anything. The Bulls, you can feel optimistic about the Bulls. It's the Cubs that you should be worried about. Well, that's true. That, that's actually true. Well, the Cubs have no money, apparently. I, after the farmer's market and all the stuff they built up around Wrigley Field, uh, apparently they have no money to spend. That's Where what they're the telling the fans. Have no money? Well, that's... I mean, that's like a, that's a mint sitting in, in Chicago. I mean, after the Ricketts started to get their ownership, they said, well, you know, we've got a new Starbucks here. we got a farmer's market. we got all these restaurants that's built around Wrigley Field to have revenue streams. Now they have no money. None. Oh, gosh. That's ridiculous. <laughs>